Well, I, I have a rule that when Benji's going to be on, we haven't been on in a while, but when Benji's going to be on, the rule is don't pick a topic that's like very linear. Picture <laughs> something that's going to branch because you you like to, you're very Talmudic in your conversations. Wow. Style. The only non-rabbi here and I'm the Talmudic <laughs> one. <laughs> This is JU Israel Teacher's Lounge, where we reach out to current Gap Year students, alumni, and any interested listeners, keeping you connected to what's happening in Israel and giving you insight behind the headlines. I am your host, Senior Israel Educator Michael Unterberg, and today joined, as always, by co-host and director of JU Israel, Alan Goldman. How are you, Alan? Doing pretty good. Sun shining before the rains come. Rains and maybe snow? Nah, nah. I don't know. Nah, no, no, no snow. snow. And today we are joined after a long absence by Israel educator Benji Davis. How's it going, Benji? Aloha. All is good. Aloha. That was very Hawaiian. It's the shalom of Hawaii. <laughs> all right. That's probably true. That, there's a Simpsons It's from the Simpsons episode. thing we show in all of our yes, classes. Exactly. Oh, it's they the, say that? It's what no. Marge, Marge shalom. goes. That's shalom. That's the aloha of this place. Oh, okay, fine. That's not a bad march. Uh, today's Thanks. topic is going to be... Sort of a, it ends up being a potpourri because we're going to be discussing uh, the former Ramat Kahl's exit interviews. Chief of staff. Chief of staff, which I don't know what it's, that would be in the UK. It's happening right now, actually. This morning. Well, they're bringing in the new one the, today. The, 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 the ceremony of switching chiefs of staff is happening today, which in itself is an interesting Israel thing. Because well, other armies don't it, do that. They probably do it, but in Israel, it's in all the news. Meaning, all the news stations stopped their regular programming mm-hmm. and right. and broadcast it. Well, like, I think of the to, what would so, be the American know. equivalent, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Yeah, but who knows? Who even knows who, who, that who that is. he is? I don't know what the British right. equivalent is, but it's the it's the top of the military. In other words, Secretary of Defense or Minister, I guess in 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 the UK would be like the Minister of Defense. No, defense no, no. Minister? We have a Minister of Defense. It's below. It's the person who's in the army. No, no. no I understand. Yeah. Secretary of Defense in the United States oh. or Minister of Defense in let's uh, say uh, yeah. England or even in, in Israel, Israel is the civilian if who who in the government right. is in charge of the military. He interfaces with the top of the military. Which in Israel is the chief of staff of the military, which in the United States I think is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Yes. Correct, correct. And I don't know what that would be. I don't in know the what it is, but but in general in Israel, it's a, I think it's a much more um, a much more public uh, position than it is, is certainly in the states. Absolutely, but isn't um, it fairly obvious? It why is that is? Place, but we have a compulsory draft. It's the army of the people. It's the, everyone it, knows everyone in the army. Right, right. It so, affects. Our daily lives. So, right. So that's you don't have a choice. Right. It has to be. It's not politics. Right. It's security. And it's the army, which everybody has a say. Everyone has a voice and everyone has a piece of. But because of that position, there's two things. One thing is, is that the, the especially the exit interview is a big thing. Right. Which is like a which is like a ritual, right? Which is a ritual, and just like the ceremony is. That's what we we're talking. Why today the ceremony is the exit in, interview was uh, was last week, and then also most often, but not always, but I would say the majority of times, it's also a stepping position to um, public uh, po- political life. Well, after a cooling off period, which is a three year cooling period, yeah. right? Three year cooling period, but almost all former chiefs of staff go into politics, um, almost all. Benji's thinking. Oh wow! I, well, what else is there for? Like, they can go into the private business, sector, and yeah. make tons of money. Yeah, private sector, go you into academia. Both. Most of them are could could have academic careers. Um, there's a lot. But whatever. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I'm not holding enough data to. 
Well, we could just route around them off. I Go mean, ahead. there's, you know, like Shaul Mofaz, um, Ehud Barak, uh, Rabin, obviously, mm-hmm. Moshe Dayan. Ashkenazi's um, thinking about getting Ashkenazi's in. Ashkenazi's getting in. He's in his, cool, in his cooling peri- period now, right? He's no, he's ending. done. But Benny Gantz is getting in, who's just finished his cooling Yalon. period. Yalon has been in. I mean, it just is. It's a lot. I don't know if yeah. it's most. I don't, I don't, I'm not holding enough. I, I'm pretty confident to... saying it's most. Yeah, I am not. But only yeah. two so, have made prime minister. Can you guys name the two? Uh, Yitzhak Rabin and um, Ayud Barak. Correct. Ayud Barak, yeah. That's the end of my trivia. All right. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so I, 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 I don't know. For, I, Eisenstock doesn't seem like the kind of guy who's going to. I don't know. He just seems a Why little not? less. Gantz Why doesn't not? really seem like the kind of guy. Yeah. He literally yeah, doesn't say true. anything political and he would be in second place in the current election <laughs> yeah. without saying anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, he did say something. He's about said, the Jews. He said he would fix the well, nation state law, which means. I mean, I think he's waiting until the indictment in February to give a political opinion because it's going to change the political map potentially so much. Why marry yourself to left, right, or center? You can have people think whatever they want to think about him. Maybe, but let's stick to let's stick to for now the Eisenstock exit interview. Eisenkot. Eisenkot. I keep saying it wrong. Who is and and again, I, I agree with you. For most English speakers, this national ritual is weird. For Israelis, this is just part of the normal flow of events. Right. When when the term of the chief of staff ends, everybody pays attention. The 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 the, the transition is important, and these exit interviews are inspected by a curious public. Um, and one of the things he's doing is putting on the record things that were censored from the Israeli press, things that sometimes have been made public in international media that the Israeli press was told, please don't talk about it. Um, one of the things he... That's silly. Which seems weird to me these days, but I mean... Yeah. It does seem weird because once it's out in the open, I don't know. It's we a all little, have access to international press. So I, we've said on this podcast a number of times, on this podcast and in our classes and to each other, oh, we're doing all kinds of stuff in Syria. Yeah. We're hitting Syria left and right yeah. every day. So it's not a secret. But it's not official. It's not even an open secret. It's it's known. <laughs> it's known. I mean, BB just came out and said, "Yeah, we struck down that weapons." Right. Well, now the they're Iranians. saying it. Now they're saying it. Uh, Only after Eisenkot came out is what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, now officially recognizing. Now it's being recognized the the extent to Israel's actions in Syria over the last uh, number of years. Well, I think we have to do that with the Trump pullout. Makes sense. Well, I th- yeah, I thought it has to do with the politics of um, both. You know. What's going on in Israel? But we've been doing it long before the Trump. The point is, we've been doing this. 2007. Nuclear reactor, September 7th, whatever it was. But but, but there's a. Alan was pointing this out to me yesterday because Eisenkot said we've been thousands of bombs and I said thousands of strikes. 2,000 strikes or something. So I said, yeah, well. Every day. I said, well, we would have guessed hundreds of strikes. And Alan said, there's like a qualitative difference between hundreds and thousands. Yeah. Like there, there, there's a lot, a lot of activity, even more than we would have guessed. And it's much more than airstrikes. Because yeah. we know this airstrike, you know, it's much more than airstrikes that are going. No, on. I told you I had a cousin who I couldn't get in touch with. I was like, "Where you been?" He's like, "Oh, I was on vacation up." He's like in a special forces guy. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Oh, I was on vacation up north." I go, "Oh, where'd you go?" Like, uh, simmer in the gully. He goes, "No." I go, "Where were you?" He goes, "On vacation <laughs> up north by myself without my family." Without my family. So <laughs> maybe we shouldn't get into this conversation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, he's a little bit younger than me, so he's in his forties. Ah, okay, so he's saying, turning he's fifty. 
Right. So he does go on vacation, like a 21-year-old kid in the army, like on vacation. What do you mean, buddy? You don't go on vacation. <laughs> no, no, no. I, that's why I was an idiot. I mean, I should have guessed it, but I was like, whoa, where'd you go? Like, you're hanging out? Like, ah, And he was like, mm. no, 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 vacation. You. Meaning knowing that I would get that because everybody knows that these guys are doing- you American. It's not just airstrikes. Didn't get it. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. right. And it's not just airstrikes. It's guys on the ground. Yeah. And of course, there's a tremendous amount of intel that has to be taken even for airstrikes. Yep. So- um, the, I'm happy and, not to know. And it's a, it's a, by the way, it, years mm. from now we'll find out a lot of working with with forces that we see as allies, propping them up, helping them to right. keep off Assad and keep out the Iranians. Uh, you know, years from now we'll know everything we've been doing. But Eisenkot just casually mentioned that we were doing these things, and of course the interview, some of the interviews were pushing him on why haven't we done more about Gaza? And part of Eisenkot's answers were. You know, Gaza's just not like the quote the guy the guy said. Did you not take more action in Gaza because we couldn't achieve anything? And Eisenkot answered, "We didn't go to war in Gaza because we didn't need to go to war in Gaza." In other words, telling the Israeli people, Gaza's not the front that concerns us a lot. Right, That's which the is reading between the lines of that answer. Right, well, or hmm. which has the, been the mantra of this government since way really since Benny Gantz since 2014 mm-hmm. and Suketan, the mantra of the government has been Gaza is. Is a problem. It's a maintenance a for, issue. You have right, to maintain right. security and quiet. And it's Gaza a problem border. for the South. And it, but the yeah. truth is, it's not an existential threat to Israel. The existential threat to Israel comes from the North, comes from um, Iran, um, particularly, and their proxies such as Hezbollah and what's happening in Syria. And they're overtaking Syria. And that's where we need to be completely focused. Um, and that mantra now, the Eisenkot interview in the New York Times and in Israeli press. Um, is kind of showing the cards. Mm-hmm. It's not just it's just a mantra, but we've actually been working actively, and it's not just about the six tunnels that they found coming in, but they've actually been working extensively in um, in Syria to keep uh, Iran uh, uh, as much as possible uh, limited in their abilities to affect Israel. I think. And of course, Iran officially has said that all these things are not true, and the Israelis right. just lying to cover right. up their incompetence and blah blah blah. So it's nothing new under the sun. That's been the Israeli government's position now for almost decades. The Palestinian issue is one of managing and maintenance. The existential threat comes from Iran, and we experience yep. it on the Lebanese and the Syrian fronts. Right. Yeah, there is something interesting, though, in the change from plausible demi- deniability to, oh, yeah, we're doing this stuff all the time. And I don't really get why that happens. But it's not, I don't get what matter that he recognizes that we're doing this stuff all the time because from the political echelons, we've known that they treat the Palestinian issue as one of maintenance and the Iranian issue as one of an existential threat. So we know that we care more about the threats coming from Hezbollah, the Syrian civil war, because they're extensions of Iranian power in the region, whereas Hamas in Gaza or terror attacks in the West Bank are issues. Just how do we keep it quiet? Life and death, it doesn't matter. You're 100% right when it comes down to tachas, as they say in Israel. But uh, but I'm just interested. I'm interested in the algorithm that decides we're not taking credit for it because we don't want it open. To I'm openly saying that we didn't take credit for it. That to me is a fascinating switch, even though it makes no sense. And you're right, it has no real world implications. But no, how it does can have we evaluate the strategy because we don't have all the information? It's clearly uh, no. But I think it has to do with the confluence of different things, like Benji was saying before. One with the American pullout. Um, giving a very specific sign to to Iran. I think it has to do with the Israeli elections coming up. 
Um, there's a lot of different things. It's assigned things to the Israeli through. public it's that, a, yeah. don't worry, the administration was taking care of business. Yeah. Uh, even though, well, right? even because I think he was like, doing stuff when he was in charge. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think, but Benji, I think because also what you were saying, well, th- does it really make a difference because everybody knew it. If you ask, I think, certainly if you ask, ask our students, and I think if you ask a lot of Israelis, like, what's the biggest threat? Like, they, we feel as a personal threat, much more threatened by the Palestinians than than by the Iranians, you know what I mean, on a day-to-day, you know? Absolutely, as Israelis, and then for yeah. American Jews that we're teaching, that's what they've been told is the conflict right. is all about, whether they're from the left or the right. That's what they know. Right. And that's to the be honest, that's that what curriculum, makes the news. It also what, what makes do we focus news. on? Yeah. We focus on the Palestinian Correct. issue because, because it issue. connects to the American Jewish identity understanding of what is Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And it's much harder to teach about, oh, the Iranian threat and geopolitics of the Middle East. Um, and it also maybe it just doesn't connect so much to the Zionist story That's as the much. issue, that it doesn't challenge the Zionist story in a way that we fear will undermine our students' Zionist self-identity. Right. Whereas the Palestinian story is a threat to our students' Zionist self-identity. The Iranian story is absolutely fits perfectly into the Zionist narrative in a very comfortable way. We're coming home and they don't want us back and we'll defend ourselves and nobody will... But the Iranians aren't a part of the day of 70 years ago. Doesn't matter. No, they doesn't are, matter. We're talking about now. Doesn't matter. I mean, it was our, you said it right. Iran is a That's, geopolitical issue. Right. Right? Whereas the Palestinians is a much... In terms of a physical threat, it's not maybe an existential threat, you know, in terms of bombs and guns and all right, those things. They're not a threat to the but, state as much they're a threat to the idea of the uh, state where Iran uh, is a and threat the to the state but not right. to the idea. Exactly. Right. And the fabric of the state. Right, fabric, like the the essence of who the state of is, how it's made up, the of, narrative, the, together, the self the conception, the yeah. self the self right identity of the state, and everyone yeah. who cares about the idea of the state talks about the Palestinians, right? But for that reason, from the far right to the far left, or seems like the centrist, like it's us an in the interesting middle. identity mm-hmm. question as opposed to Iran, which is for most people a more boring and what's education all about, right? Identity. And Especially what, Zionist education, if that's what we see ourselves being right, for involved sure. in. Yeah. 100%. And that's exactly why, because we are, we are involved in Zionist uh, education and not geopolitics. We use geopolitics as a part of that because it's an important part of that. And Zionism is a political movement in itself, right. so you have to deal with that. So but, then how can we bring in this issue into the classroom then, this ge- the geopolitical Iranian issue, if our vision is – how to grapple with issues of Zionism in the 21st century. Well, if, if we were less concerned with, I, I think our students come with an unformed Zionist self-identity. They come in with a, we love Israel, pro-Israel attitude without understanding Or Zionism. ambivalent. What? Yeah. Ambivalent. I don't think About all of what? us. Israel. About Israel. I think it just. Oh, I don't know. Students who come thir- to study for grade a year. 13. Israel gap year is grade thirteen for a lot of the students. I, I, I have yet to meet a student who doesn't enjoy being in Israel. Who is like, but that doesn't oh, make you can't believe Israel and love Israel. It's like, oh, cool, I get to go with my friends. You've to met Israel students my... who are like, yeah, I have students like, like that right now. Who are they? Could be in Israel or they could be in England. They don't care at all. It's not an issue of caring. It's just this is their normal. But being they... with Jewish kids in a Jewish space, um, the fact that they get to have fun with them, and then they go to get to college next year. I'm talking the gamut of the yeshiva programs or even just the non-Orthodox yeah, programs. Yeah, but Benji, the fact that it's normal means it's part of your Jewish life. That studying but for then, a year in Israel but is... But if you're not is, thinking about it, 
as in they never thought about it. Oh, I'm pro-Israel. Oh, I love the Zionist story. Oh, I love being Jewish. It's oh. just this is just what you do. Why do you do Israel and not Nicaragua or or because what, that's France. what your parents will pay for. That's the path. Yeah, I, I, I'm just saying. I've I mean, I have a kid who literally has told me that. I mean, comes to my class like half the time. To sound that apathetic to you know in this, I I, I would I would argue at least in my anecdotal percept in my perception of my anecdotal evidence yeah that that is an unusual level of apathy about the state of Israel for our students who come to our course especially in schools where they come to our course by choice to come and they go eh, I don't really care I could have gone to England but my parents paid for me to go here so I'm here most students understand that Israel is part of their identity story 100% and that's why it's a normal I'm not part of their life. that I, that's, that's all I mean I just don't think there's much cognitive action happening in a lot of these kids' well, that's heads. That's what I mean by turning them from pro-Israel people who generally but like that, Israel to Zionists who are self-aware and conscious of their of the Zionist story and their place. So in I'm it. not starting from a pro-Israel perspective. I'm starting as just this is their human experience and this is what they've known and they're not really thinking about it. And the question is, we're trying to turn them on to think about it to what it means that they're here for the year and that they've been told they're a part of the Jewish story. When perhaps like, okay, cool, I'm part of the Jewish story. I went to day school. Now I'm going for a gap year and the next. Year, I'm going to go to Maryland. Well, you're using different language than me, but I think you're saying the same thing. In other words, they think the Jewish story is two things. God gave this land to the Jews. That's why I'm connected to it. And because of the Holocaust, we needed a place to run away to. And that's why Jews have Israel. And that's why I'm here. That's that's why. That's a generic modern orthodox way of looking at Israel. So I call that the pro-Israel generic way of looking at Israel. By the way, it is not just... I would not because in my when I taught in non-orthodox schools, Mm -hmm. I get the same answer. Because religious, yeah. the Jews are connected by religion because the Torah says that God, whether they believe it or not is a different God issue. gave the Fair land enough. to Israel. God right, gave the right. land to uh, I look uh, at it from a cultural lens, but we're using religion to explain it. That's how they explain yeah. it. Yeah. They use religion and the Holocaust. And that's why my challenge to students is always, okay, now explain why Israel should exist. Do not use God or the Holocaust. And you'll begin to understand the Zionist narrative. And most of them can't do it. Agreed. Okay. Right. So that's, you're asking why, what's but it's, the... But, that doesn't make them pro-Israel or lovers of Zion because they can explain the Holocaust and God and the connection to the land. Because so you're, they might you're, not see you're quibbling over the terminology. Apart. No, I think that's important. I'm not quibbling over terminology. I really think it's important. If someone hasn't thought about why it's important to them, but they're just going through the motions, then it's on if us I say to, to figure my out students, why they're doing it. If I say to my students, do you think no. Israel should exist? They say yes. If I say, should it defend itself? They say yes. That's generally pro-Israel. But is that a major identity factor for them, more than they like the Los Angeles Lakers? No. But then they're pro-Lakers, aren't they? I love the Lakers. Okay, so you're pro-Lakers. So why is it wrong for me to say? But if you're thinking 99% of the time on the things that you like and how you identify, whether it's, you know, religion, culture, nationality, sports, arts, culture, it doesn't matter— or, and then like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm day school and I'm going on my gap year. Let Otherwise, me, I don't really think about it. Let me put your... That doesn't make them pro-Israel. Let me put your te- terminology into my framework. Mm-hmm. I think a pro-Israel identity is pretty thin. It's pretty superficial. superficial. Got and it. I think that a Zionist identity is becomes more intrinsic and rooted into the self in a way that... I agree with that frame of how we're framing the concepts then. Yeah. 100%. Then most of our kids are just pro-Israel. pro-Israel. Yeah, yes. yeah. Fair enough. I think of it as a New Yorker. I think of it as like the Jewish press, which, you know, is read by ultra-Orthodox Jews, whatever that term means, you know, and it's generally says nice things about Israel, but it's generally read by people who don't, 
they they have a pride in Israel and what it does, but they're not invested in the state itself and in the modern story of Israel. They just don't like when Jews are picked on and they feel some connection without really understanding the national story of the 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 renaissance of the Jewish people properly. So are we teaching a different way to understand what it means to be Jewish in our course then? No, I think I we're teaching think so. an authentic, traditional way to understand what it means to be Jewish. And we're trying to remove some of the detritus we've acquired over 2,000 years of diaspora, where those essential Jewish aspects of identity have been ignored to a fault. But don't you think that if you're going through 12 years of day school, that you would come to your gap year with an understanding of what it means to be a Zionist or an Israeli Jew? <laughs> I would have hoped that. I would have hoped. You expect I think way too much from school. No, but I'm, what I'm arguing, I accept I think, that there are two ways to survive as a Jewish person on planet Israel. One is to be a Jew in a nation state, well, and one is to for, be a citizen in a liberal state where you're a protected religious minority. Our students come to Israel as, wow, it's amazing. We can be proud Jews in this liberal state, and we don't really have to worry about being Jewish. And then they come to a different place with a whole different notion of Jewishness. So the question is, in our Zionism 21st century class, are we helping them grapple with this other way of being Jewish? Or are we saying that the way to be Jewish in Israel is actually the way that Jews in America should be identifying as Jews? What's the difference? I, There's yeah. a major difference. I, I, I don't think we're saying this or that way is the way to be Jewish. They I think come here saying, as Jew by religion. Israelis aren't Jews by religion. I don't think we're I don't think we're telling them anyway that this is the way they need to be Jewish. I don't think we should be. Mm-hmm. I think we're trying to expose them to different um, uh, concepts of what it means to be Jewish and and the main concept that we try and expose in the class is that is that at the core essence of a Jewish identity is nationalist identity. What does the state of Israel mean to your Jewishness? Is not a you should do this or you should do that. Oh no, of course. I mean, we're all no. our uh, we're educators, yeah, not yeah, yeah. no, no, we don't indoctrinators. Uh, right. right, no, that's not where I was going. I meant in oh. terms of rather to grapple with an idea, not to say you need to identify with the idea. Like, are we trying to grapple with? a certain notion which perhaps that they haven't grappled with before. Well, we, 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 we always call be, it yeah. the paradigm shift. You have to, you should be able to understand the paradigm shift that... that that's why, of course, begins with the Zionist narrative, and we also delve into the Palestinian narrative, because the idea of, of, of two peoples who are indigenous to this land, and what does that mean? And what does that mean for us in terms of our identity? And what does it mean that we're indigenous here and have built a state here, and this is our center, but yet I have a full, rich life in Hutzlar, uh, in, in the diaspora. So you just yes, answered yeah. the question which brought up why we don't talk about geopolitics in Iran so much in our class. Right. Because they're trying to teach the story of how the Jews are indigenous yes, to the land of Israel. Correct. And how do you exactly. teach that without teaching, oh, there is an Arab group which understands well, before, itself to be indigenous to the same place. But it's not just that. It's true. We're trying to teach that the Jews are a people, the Jews are a nation, and therefore they have the claim to indigenous identity here. We're not... The, the, the part of, unfortunately, part of the... Uh, Palestinian narrative is that the Jews are a religion and they can practice their religion anywhere they want in the world and they some of them can live here and they can visit here as long as we the Palestinian nation rule and the Jew and they're, they're ignoring the national aspects of our story which is before we even get to being indigenous we have we, the diaspora has made Jews stop thinking of ourselves as a nation we use the terminology Am Yisrael Chai David Melech Yisrael you're not king of a religion you're king of a nation state so so that Medina Yisrael comes around and, and it becomes 
becomes part of the religious narrative of the Jewish connection to their, you know, to to Jerusalem as the center of the Jewish religion, not as the only nation on earth that have ever used it as the capital of their nation state of the Jews. And so that's the paradigm shift that that we're trying to reawaken. Which is exactly why I would say two things, which is exactly why A, <laughs> Ben-Gurion understood that Jerusalem needed to be the capital, right. even if we were talking about just West Jerusalem back in 1949 or 1948, um, and not a capital in Tel Aviv or another part of the country. And the second thing is where this may seem like we went on a tangent from the Eisenkot interview, but I really think it's where we started, which is that- We're being Talmudic. Not only being Talmudic, but the core idea, one of the core ideas of Zionism is that Jews need to defend themselves, right? It's a pillar of Zionism. We talk about pillars of Zionism, um, you know, army that Jews defend themselves in their home state, have the, have their own state, and Aliyah, immigration. Those are really the three pillars of Zionism movement throughout. And you see that still today, that those are three three pillars. Can you repeat and those it, again? The uh, Jews, I'll say in the state, we have a state sovereignty in our own land. Mm -hmm. To we defend that ourselves. We have an army that defends itself, and that is a major thing. And immigration, that Jews, we will call kibbutz galiot, Jews coming here from all over the world to populate that area. Right. I mean, that third pillar is so important. Uh, yeah. To say if the Jews are indigenous in a nation, but 97% at the time of the founding of the state didn't happen to be in this land, right? It goes into Jabotinsky's argument in the Iron Wall, which is saying, yeah, there was an Arab majority in what was Palestine at the time, but there are 50 million Jews around the world that are actually right. from this place. So we're the well, majority. 60 million, but not 50 million. 16 million were at the time. But... Um, and that is what he wrote, right? <laughs> Excuse me. No, he didn't write fifty million. He didn't say. He didn't I think he did. Right. I think. He I did. think he. Wrote, oh no! In the um, no, he was the, the, the majority. The ethics, no, the essay, of, the the ethics yeah, of the Iron Wall. The ethics of the week later. I yeah. remember fifteen million. If it's oh, 16? 15? Oh, I think he said fifty. No, yeah. No way. Oh, I think he said 15. fifty. Sorry, I agree. 15. Welcome to Zionist One of the fifty million Jews on planet Earth. No, I saw. I don't know. That's why I didn't Our understand. Our new podcast where we argue about. No, no, that's why I didn't understand. He said fifty. No, okay, fifteen is fine. That's fine. Thanks. I thought you said fifty. That's my age is showing. It's my Thank California you. accent. <laughs> it's because Ben turned off my earphones. Um, but uh, but uh, yeah, but and immigration still, and we see that actually, if we track from the beginning of the state from forty eight, obviously we have our sovereign state. Obviously, we have our army, and that's where we started this. The, the importance of the chief of staff changing positions, and number three, forty two percent of Jews are now living in right. the state of Israel. It'll be a majority. More, 3% more now, like in our over lifetime. Over 43, I think, already. Okay, great. I, I think Even better. <laughs> by the way, this is also why Ben-Gurion and his generation of Zionists were obsessed with the Bible and felt that all of the diaspora literature of the Jewish people should be relegated to like the past, more or less, and wasn't interested in it because the Bible establishes the story of the nation state that mm -hmm. defends itself they, that immigrate into the land and then defends itself with its state and its army. And so that... that and then disperse. Oh, so the dispersal was less interesting to him because right. that's what we have to fix. Modern Zionists are re-embracing the, the, the literature of the diaspora as part of the Jewish experience that we must bring into right. our Zionist identity. I, right. But that's been a, a but sort of... But to be of, fair, ben -Gurion, there were those even in Ben-Gurion's time, right? Bialik, Haram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, not the... Not the but those, more in the literati, not in the politician right. circles. I've never heard that word before. Neither. Really? I thought he was talking about liberati or something. <laughs> Liberace. Guys, when you talk to somebody from Brooklyn, you get the fancy, you know, well, what do you call it? English. Some people talk good and other people's, you know. Um, 
I don't, but you're I, seeing the tension, the tension that we're experiencing with our students. We're just talking about it 70 years ago, which was essentially that the Zionists are, it's an internal revolution against the Jews deciding that we can be a protected religious minority in, in liberal states. Yeah, and that's why- and, so our, and our students are coming to Israel thinking that being Jewish is being, a, you know, they're a part of a religion and this religion oh, has so a country. Oh, it's so cool that the buses say Chag Sameach and I can eat kosher McDonald's. Right, right which is cool. But that's not the story. So the question is then, as the majority of our students aren't going to latch on to that third pillar and make Aliyah, and that's not our goal of the class in any sorts of means, but when they go back, are they understanding being Jewish as being a, a part of religion, or are they a part of a nation, and are they intellectually uh, able to, to grasp to the them. fact that uh, they're a part of a so, nation, so but they're I living think, in Maryland? Again, I, I think that the point, of the, again, the point of our class is that they understand what Zionism says. Whether they embrace that, that's up to them. Well, that's their but choice, that they obviously. understand that yeah. they understand that Zion, Zion, when Zion, when we say Zionism, we mean something very specific in terms of conception of who the Jews are as a Jewish people. And that, I do think that most of our students are walking out of class thinking, uh, understanding that they get paradigm. It. Yeah, they can choose to think that way or not. And how do we perceive how they fit into that story? people as Jews who either choose no, to... No, no, I not like, I'm interested, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's something we should look into, um, you know, just after coming home from the gap year, back to the States or Canada, wherever they're coming from, as in how are they understanding what it means to be part of the Jewish people, and did that change before they came to Israel? Um, yeah, I think it does, but again, their gap year in, in, in and of itself brings a change with or with, you know. No, for sure. That's why I, a, I framed it that way, and yeah. our class is just a small part of their gap year experience. Yeah. Hopefully our class frames that question right. for them. Um, but Just uh, just to bring Eisenkopf back explicitly yeah. into the conversation, I also want to point out that before we turn away you know, entirely, uh, that, that he not only condemned uh, Jewish terror, we've had a very bad incident recently where... Uh, young Orthodox Jews through were throwing well, rocks. They don't, they don't know. I mean, uh, the, allegedly, allegedly, yeah. allegedly, a group of five uh, five young teenagers threw yeah. rock were throwing rocks at Arab vehicles, and one of the rocks uh, killed uh, an Arab woman. Uh, and and it's uh, been a mother of seven, I think. Yeah, nine. Oh, nine. Well, yeah. And there's been quite a brouhaha in Israel over that case. And Eisenkot wanted to make it clear as as the exiting chief of staff that that's not just a moral problem for the Jewish state. It's a, it's a security problem. It's also not an isolated incident. Yeah, there's been there's a, a tremendous rise in in Jewish terror attacks. Against yeah, what, the they, what many of these people call tagmachir attacks, where whether it's price tag attacks, whether it's... Um, Violence against people, or vandalism, or graffiti, or there's a. He was claiming there's a there's a statistical uptick, maybe four times as much, over the past few years, and and the state has to get very serious about that. That that's not just a moral problem; that it's also a security problem. And another issue of maintenance. Uh, well, mm, I I don't know that it's just maintenance. If it's. I, I, so, so I like to use that a little bit to bring, bring bring back to our discussion because I think that the the word nationalism unfortunately has a bad tone to it, mm -hmm. um, and is also been associated with those fringe elements that take nationalism to mean exclusivity and the rights to viol and the right to violate other people's 
mm-hmm. rights. When I think we we use nationalism in the more liberal sense that it was meant, you know, of of a a group identity based on where you're from and a culture and a history, and not. Um, uh, exclusive or to take away rights from others. In other words, it goes hand in hand with a democratic outlook. And I think that part, the way of, we're what, using it part of what he was saying as chief of staff is we can deal with the aftermath. Really, they can't. The army can't. I mean, the, the yeah. Shabak, which is like the FBI, has to deal with the aftermath. But it's it's a political job to shape the culture so that this is abhorrent. And he brought he mentioned in that context the case of Elora Zaria, who killed a neutralized terrorist was convicted of it so i don't have to say alleged mm-hmm. uh and like this the polls were like over 60 percent of the public viewing what he did in a positive way and he said that's not sustainable that job i do think doesn't fall to the military i do think that falls to politicians At, and we always see the same thing with politicians now that are are um not only in the case of uh, zaria but also in this case are attacking the um, the judicial and the police and security establishment of of uh, not um, treating the holding them the, right or holding, holding them responsible, the, holding them responsible, arresting them without letting yeah. them talk to legal counsel for days to try to break them before, which already in Israel, by people complaining about that as inappropriate policy for our. Shabak for the for the but we do that with yeah. the Palestinians oh, exactly that's the not only that it's legal it's illegal I mean administrative then change the law right. so then yeah. change the law but then that law has to work for everybody it's not a matter of you can't do this to Jewish teenagers if the Shabak shouldn't do that to teenagers but I would Shabbat say the majority of the public would say we should treat Jews differently than we should treat Arabs in these scenarios and that 100%. I think whether Eisenkot intended that or not I do think that's a consequence of what he said and that's I think part that's of what the, he was saying I do think that's what he was saying and I think that's a major cultural problem. Well, I mean, uh, Ayala Shaked was talking to the mom of one of the. She visited them. Yeah, right. she visited uh, the. Yeah, that's the, nuts. She's the minister. The minister of, of justice. defense. Justice. Yeah, of, of sorry, of justice goes to meet with the. Mo- <laughs> I mean, she should not be talking on the well, record. She's, she's just saying we're justice side. Uh, well, justice to, sides to, with to the Z- Jews. You go to the Zaria case. Right. So Netanyahu did it in the Zaria case. Right? right. I mean, uh, the, at first he came out supporting the, the IDF. IDF and the defense assumption. Then he backtracked when he got when he saw the polls. I mean, imagine the, the way, attorney and then he general actually called the parents. He spoke to the parents on a number of occasions. Imagine the attorney general of the United States going to meet with the well, parents of somebody. Susp- no, no, well, I guess the United though. States. It's not as crazy. anyway right. in America. Who knows? Yeah, in America, know. I can imagine anything now. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Imagine a guy uh, saying, "What's wrong with the term white supremacy and white nationalism?" and the president of the United States saying. I'm not following the story. I don't know anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you, you, I, I do think that becomes the job. By the way, what we do is we fall over ourselves condemning and double condemning and triple condemning. What we really mean is, when it comes to things like Jewish terror, what we mean is if you don't condemn it, we condemn not condemning it. It's not enough to condemn it. Though we should not have if – you, if you stand up and defend it, or even appearing well, because we want the, yeah. the we want the Palestinians to do the same thing. We want Abbas to condemn terror in Tel Aviv, like he condemns terror in Paris. We should be doing the same thing. Not right. because we, I mean, yes, but not because of that. Because that's you no, can't. No, but you it's cannot a have proof of our philosophical. Racism is a place. rot at the heart of a society, and it's a tool that gets used over and over again. Racism is an is a is an evil that has to be rooted out, root and branch from 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 a cultural zeitgeist and, right. and that becomes the job of political leaders 
the, you you can't because you're always going to have racist individuals. You're always going to have jerks. Just like you can't eliminate crime because you're always going to have bad people. But it's the job of politicians to create a framework where they should be ashamed to open their mouths in public. That that that's a responsibility that comes incumbent on us. So, so that was a big. Uh, yeah, were you worried we wouldn't have enough to talk about? Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, that's why we brought Benji on. That's why we brought Benji. Because <laughs> yeah, I'm we... supposedly Talmudic, the only <laughs> non-rabbi. We should play that clip. We should attach that clip. Uh, well, thank you very much. That's Al. it. That's it, man. You're welcome back next week. You're welcome back every week. <laughs> uh, thank you, Alan. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Benji. Thank you. As always, thank you, Ben. Thank you very much, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Uh, this is the part where I remind you that we are the JU Israel Teachers Lounge podcast. And it's also the part where I ask you to subscribe, to rate and review us, and to share and recommend us in any way you can. Also, we'd love your feedback so we can respond to you on or off the podcast. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Can I just point out we're all wearing the same shoes? Because I've black. been thinking about it. Minor black. I'm just thinking about it. Minor black. Okay. Color is irrelevant. They're all That's from the same company. Have you learned nothing Israelis. from this episode, Alan? Color isn't important. <laughs> the fact that our uh, our Blundstones are brown and yours are black, they're all one Blundstone nation. Yes, oh, we man. are we are Jerusalem-y uh, wearing our Blundstones, which are awesome. Although mine are the only fuzzy ones. So I'm better than Maybe you. Maybe that says something about us. Literally, the lady in the store was like, oh, these are cool because they're different. I'm like, I think that's what makes them not cool. But I'm Were like, they cheaper? Yeah. They were much cheaper. Them. That's why I bought them. Mm-hmm. I said I'm buying them because I'm old and cheap and, and I don't care about... I am way Swayed. past... I've had mine for three years. I got them the week before my wedding. There you go. I feel like we're having a hard oh, time shoot. ending here. I didn't bring Benji's book again. We still haven't <laughs> given Benji his wedding present. All right. Well, this addendum... <laughs> I want my 50 bucks back. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs>